Today, as we begin then, uh, I'd like to begin with the question, um, kind of a mental experiment, a mind experiment, imagination uh, exercise. How would your life hit the headlines, right? Uh, most of us here probably aren't, uh, don't have enough notoriety or, or celebrity status to hit the headlines, but perhaps some of you do. Um, uh, but if your life, if, if just your everyday life hit the headlines, what would be the headlines? Would it be, I know, and I, this for some of us can be a very anxious exercise, you know, to be found out to, you know, certainly if you ask my kids, uh, they would speak of, oh, dad, for sure, what would hit the headlines is you're driving us to school in the mornings, and not for a good reason, right? It's just where my character, my patience is tested the most. Uh, and just to give you perspective, just this past week, my daughter uh, pointed out when we got to school, Dad, you didn't say the I word once today, <laughs> right? Idiot, right? I, I call some drivers idiots. Forgive me. I'm not a good example that way. But, but so much so that, Albert, Dad, you didn't say that once on this drive. So if your life hit the headlines, uh, would it demonstrate something true, first of all? Would your life be noted for truth, objective absolutes, that, that your life is there to embody that, to live that out? Would your life, would the headlines speak of something good? And, and here I'm speaking of morality, your ethics, your, your actual choices with respect to right and wrong. And more specifically then, would the headlines of your life represent something right and now, more concretely, about wisdom and truth and morality applied. Sure, your life might represent a certain truth and goodness, but do you actually live into that? Do you have a rightness about your life? And would your life represent something beautiful? And by beautiful, we mean something eternal, something that encompasses truth and goodness and rightness and, and will last forever. Now, this is important for us as Christ followers, and Paul gets to this as he nears the end of his letter, and he's wrapping up his instructions for Christians in Colossae and for you and me in 2019. Uh, this is a good exercise because, consider this thought, our words of witness, our words of witness are spoken louder by true, good, right, and beautiful action. We all know the basic, uh, just, uh, the, 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 just the not goodness of hypocrisy. We all know the, the weakness of hypocrisy, the frailty of hypocrisy, that it takes away credibility. And so certainly, we want what we say, we want what we profess to be in line with how we walk, how we talk. Our words of witness are spoken that much louder by true, good, right, and beautiful action. So today, as a summary and a simple prayer for us, a summary of today's message, if we could pray these words somehow, even this week, if this is the prayer that sort of sticks with you and rhythmically, you could pray this out through the week. Lord, help me to live out a wise gospel witness. This is essentially what Paul is ending the letter of Colossians with. To pray this prayer and to have God answer this prayer through our lives. Lord, help me to live out a wise gospel witness. 
And so for the rest of our time together today, I, I just want to ask two basic questions. How? How do I live out a wise gospel witness? And Paul, in these two verses, he shows us how, but also why. Paul and, and the gospel and even Jesus Christ always gives us the why. Never just how and what to do on the surface. God isn't looking for that first. He's first looking for a heart that is transformed by the great gospel why. And we have a radically otherworldly reason to be moral people, to do what is right and good and to pursue truth and to pursue beauty. So first, the how. Simply put, with wise conduct wise behavior, wise action. And so Paul, I love just his simple, succinct punchiness, almost like a summary statement, but eternal truth here, that if we just hold on to this simple instruction, it will go well with us. We don't need to complicate our faith. We don't need to complicate life. And Paul says simply, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. And here, by wisdom, just repeating something I said earlier, that wisdom is basically truth and goodness and morality applied. It's in every situation that you pause to think, what is good here? What is right here? What will have the longest lasting good and beautiful ramifications? And so to seek wisdom as a Christ follower, to ask God for wisdom because he is generous with wisdom, and as James in another letter says, that God never turns away his child from that prayer. If we ask for wisdom from him, he'll provide it. And to walk. I love this word. It, it basically, how we use it in modern day vernacular, we've got to walk the talk. And that's what Paul means here. That we need to live it out. We need this, it's not just about knowing certain things, not being able to be, be able to consult well and to give good advice to other people but that we actually live this out in our day-to-day, -day, in our decisions as well. Now, Paul, he gets specific, and he says that we need to walk in wisdom toward a specific audience. And he says, toward outsiders. Toward outsiders. Now, I want you to notice two things here. First, Paul, he makes a clear distinction between those who are in the church and those who are outside. Now, we need to understand his heart behind this. He's not trying, he, Paul, of all humans on this earth, aside from Jesus Christ, he would, I would venture to put him, you know, right up there in the list of top 10 human beings uh, through history who really loved and cared for people outside of the family of Christ, outside of the church. And I love the, the saying of the church that the church really, truly is the one organization, the one organism, the one just entity that truly exists for the benefit of its non-members as well. God's heart is a heart of love to include any, as many and, and all as who would place their faith in Christ. And so this outsider language, it's not to create this division, this superiority, this marginalization of those who aren't Christians. We are not to have some hoity-toity attitude, some snooty attitude towards those who aren't sitting in the pews today. But nevertheless, we would be wise to also understand that in the scheme of eternity, there really are two circles. 
There is an inner circle of those who will place their faith in Christ. And there is an outer circle where for eternity they will be facing the wrath of God and not his love and being welcomed into family. And so this term, outsider, is meant to motivate us. And it's meant to compel us to be broken even, to cry tears in our prayer closets for those who, are, who have not placed their faith in Christ yet. And so much so, more the reason that we need to walk in wisdom. I love this thought, this quote. Jesus walked toward outsiders in the ultimate way. From holy heaven, and he moved down to sin-tarnished earth. From the inner circle of the divine trinity to the fringes of outcast man. As I follow this Jesus, and place yourself in that I there, as I follow this Jesus, I must ask myself, am I walking in the same direction as Jesus did? Am I facing inward or outward? And so the church must be outward faced. And as we're outward faced, that we are walking wisely towards them because our words are spoken louder by our good, right, true, and beautiful conduct. And so Paul continues, how? With wise conduct, and now he continues to elaborate, how do we walk in wisdom towards outsiders? Making the best use of the time. And I love the the meaning of this, the, the nuance of this in the original language is making the best use of the time. The best use means redeeming. Redeeming, and notice it says, the time. Paul is being very specific about a certain kind of time, a certain season of time. He he could have just said generally, making the best use of time. So he's not only talking about general wisdom to be productive, to make a to-do list and to prioritize and, and so forth, but he's speaking of a season of history. The time right now is God's time of grace. God's time where he is willing to welcome all those who would forsake their sin and trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And we need to understand that this, the time, the very definite period in history, that it will end one day. It will be bookended, bookmarked by Christ coming and returning. And then that, the time that Paul is referring to, will no longer be. The opportunities will be all gone for us to witness, to walk towards the outsiders. And so that's why Paul speaks of, if we translate it literally, redeeming this time. You see, I'm going to go, just oblige me, just to become a little bit um, cynical in a sense and and just uh, extreme, worst case scenario, but it's just to contrast and to make a point and hopefully compel us towards uh, the positive direction. But this time, we believe as Christ followers that this time on this earth, it's temporary. And so no matter how good this life is, no matter how successful you are, no matter how happy your life is on this earth, if it's not redeemed and in Christ, then it's all for nothing. In fact, it will be a very, it'll be like salt in the wound. It will be just being like um, kicked when we're already down, that we face the judgment seat of God and realize that everything we thought was wonderful and good in this life it just evaporates. But 
if we are receiving this life as a gift from God and, and, and content in Christ, and truly I believe that everything can be redeemed here and carry over into eternity as well. And it will all be for the glory of God, and we'll see that it was not all for naught. And it was redeemed. And so the point is this. See, this time here on earth, especially if you don't believe in an eternity with Christ, this time ultimately is meaningless. It's meaningless. No matter how much good you experience and success and happiness and so forth. But if we live this life by faith, in union with Christ, and have the great hope that all our life here, all our relationships, all our talents and treasures and how we spent it, that God will one day finally bring all of that to full redemption and full glory on the other side of eternity. That's how this time can be redeemed. And so the Christian has a wonderful advantage. We have the greatest hope that every effort, every energy, every endeavor, that it truly has lasting purpose. And so Paul, he wants us to think through First to the Christian, how are you using your time? First with what lens and what perspective are you using your time? And all the more then, walking towards outsiders and realizing the best, ultimately the best use of this time on earth is to continue to reach out and invite those on the outside to come one step closer to placing their faith in Christ. Uh, and yours truly, um, my face is there too, and Three others will be joining us, Rob uh, in the winter hat, um, and then a couple, a husband and wife, uh, Kyla and Mark. Uh, they'll be joining us on this trip. And, and so this is just one way. This is just one way that we walk towards outsiders. The July team will be going Saturday, July 6th to Sunday, July 28th. Uh, Trevor and I will be coming back a week earlier, but the rest of the team will stay there till the 28th. And Love of Village, uh, just to spotlight this organization again, in their way too, walking towards outsiders. In Malawi, specifically in the village of uh, Luhomero. And they do wonderful work both in word, in conduct, in deed, and uh, word. So, so in conduct, in deed, and word. Uh, the works that they focus on, just reading it off here, they work to reduce poverty and promote independence by partnering with Malawians in clean water, and so helping them build boreholes and water, in, uh, employ water filters, uh, providing and teaching the Malawians, their whole perspective is to teach the indigenous people uh, to learn these skills themselves and to be self-sustaining that way, and so sh uh, safe shelter, providing food security, uh, farming techniques, beehives, mushrooms, and so much more, and even from there to create little micro-businesses to earn money for themselves. Health and hygiene, and toilets and hygiene classes. Uh, these are basic, simple things that, that they need education with. Uh, and especially on Julie's heart is a focus on girls, sewing and empowering uh, young women to create their own micro-businesses as well but also what we take for granted here in the West, just basic female hygiene management. And of course, discipleship. Uh, Trevor and I will especially be focusing on that aspect when we go this July. 
and training indigenous leaders in the gospel and equipping them to raise up more disciples and more leaders amongst uh, themselves, by themselves. And so here too, just to make a very specific call, here's an opportunity to overflow, to continue to walk towards outsiders. The team will be literally going over there, but also you can help by supporting those who walk towards outsiders in uh, places that you can't go as well. And so here's a little acronym, if acronyms help you, called HELP, ways you can overflow HELP uh, to us. You can help with donations through uh, these uh, websites, uh, the, the three websites. You can go directly to loveavillage.org, and there's a button there on the homepage that you click. You can go to canadahelps.org. They're registered with Canada Helps, and just search Love a Village, and it's the first organization that comes up. Or if you feel more comfortable uh, donating through our church, you can do it through PushPay or by giving through the offering box at the back, but uh, just earmarking that check or envelope for Love a Village. Um, and uh, our own Estera, she's going to be running two fundraisers, uh, Be Free Fitness Fundraisers. Uh, and before I get to more specifics about that, E- Encourage. Encourage with words and interest. And so at this point, um, I know it might, they might feel a little bit out of place doing this, and, and maybe they don't want to be uh, spotlighted, but if Esther and Jordan could just stand, and so you know who they are. Jordan, if you could stand, and Esther, they're at the back, just wave, and uh, they're excited and getting ready for the trip. But if you could just approach them, and you guys can have a seat, um, and encourage them with words and, and just your sincere interest. So how are you preparing? What's going on? How do you feel? Are you anxious, nervous? That's another way to overflow help. You can help by learning. Alpha, learn about what God is doing through Love of Village and have your heart expanded and widened to what God is doing in other parts other than Toronto in our immediate circles. And certainly the most important help that we need is uh, for you to pray to pray for the Spirit's guidance, power, and protection. If you'd like to uh, support Estera especially in just her fundraising, um, she's offering two classes, uh, exercise classes, Wednesday, June 19th, and Tuesday, June 25th, both 6.30 to 8 p.m. right here, downstairs. Uh, and, and it's uh, cutely entitled Muscles for Malawi Fundraiser. And you can support her that way. We'll have more uh, detailed information I'll send it out to the church emailing list of um, the Eventbrite website. You can donate through there and register through there, or you can show up and register and uh, uh, donate in person. But the point is this, and this is just one example. I could go all afternoon about real people sitting right here who in their own way, in their own context, at work, um, at home, just their recreation circles and their hobbies and so forth, that we have people here who are walking towards outsiders and redeeming the time that way. But Paul, he also says in answering how, how do we live out a wise gospel witness with wise words? Not only through our wise conduct and, and reaching out to outsiders and the way we serve them, the way we display character before them, how we respond to the same stress and situations that they do, but also with our wise words. And so Paul says in verse 6, 
let your speech. I want you to first notice let. Paul's saying it's your choice. You have a choice. As you walk in step with the Spirit, as you lean into Christ, His grace, every day you have a choice. Trinity Grace Church, let's be known as Christ followers who never blame situations, never blame other people for our conduct. That we own our faith, we own our conduct, we own our words, we own our reactions and responses. And so let, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now notice, Paul here, in describing our speech and the choice we're to make, he says, always. And so this is possible. As we walk in step with the Spirit, as we, perhaps it takes the, learning the mental discipline just to pause before we speak, just even that split-second pause. But as we learn those good habits, that we could always, by the power of the Spirit, and with remembering Christ and how he has spoken his good word to us, we can always, and what? First, be gracious. And this just literally means full of grace. And, and I want you to receive this in two ways. Full of grace means first, as you're overflowing Christ's character and, 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 and his grace to you, that you are producing joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. These are the words that this word for grace embodies. This, this is what was in the dictionary. That full of grace means joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. And certainly we could uh, include in there the fruits of the Spirit. That our words would always be gracious that way. Put differently, I love one mentor of mine. He, he said to me, he challenged me, Albert, uh, whenever you meet a person, and even if you're meeting them just for a brief moment, I want you to ask yourself when you leave that person, did you add value to that person that day? Did you leave them a better person than when you found them? <clears throat> and he was getting at, even if it's just your attitude, even if it's just your vibe, as a Christ follower that, that you're embodying some sort of hope and, and joy and peace in your life, even if it's that little, just leaving that touch, even if you don't have the opportunity to speak the name of Christ explicitly to them, that you would be gracious that way. But also it means, being full of grace means that your words, because you're so, uh, in, in the best sense, just steeped and, and just imbibed with the gospel, that the second way, full of, what full of grace means, is to understand and to be able to articulate the gospel. Can you, given an opportunity, and from a one-minute opportunity to, if you have a bit more time, five minutes, to you have an hour with this person, could you joyfully explain and just overflow with, with an explanation of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he means to you? Do you have an understanding and an ability to articulate this wonderful gospel of grace? That's what Paul means. Let your speech always be gracious. First, just full of grace but also that you can actually speak of grace. And then he has this curious phrase, seasoned with salt. 
seasoned with salt. Now we know during that time, even Christ referred to salt in this way. He said of the church in Matthew 5, you are the light and salt of the world. And salt always in the biblical understanding had two functions. All the more during that time without refrigeration and so forth, it was a preserving element. And so Christians, the church, we are meant to, by our wise conduct and our gracious speech, we're meant to be the ones that de-escalate a situation. We're meant to be the ones that can add some helpful wisdom or some cheer and hope and joy to a situation. We're, we're meant to be the ones that just in our conduct or if we actually have the influence to shape policies that in our workplace or whatnot, whatever influence, whatever circle of influence we have, that we are seeking to exert our influence in a gentle, gracious manner to keep preserving our society, our circles, our workplace. But also, it's for taste. Just as we use salt for taste today, some of us too much, but um, salt is, is meant to flavor. And so we're meant to, as we combine as we have this presence, even in our speech specifically, does our speech, let me ask it this way, does our speech bring wise perspective? Does our speech offer wise options when we're, whatever conversations we're involved in? Is our speech encouraging? Is our speech witty? If we have a joy in our hearts, we're, we're meant to add some laughter and lightheartedness. That's a very Christian thing. And now Paul, he says, he gives the reason why. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I want you to understand that this ought to answer, it means to respond to. What Paul is saying, if I'm to understand him correctly, He's giving sort of a default posture for Christ followers that we, by default, we're not meant to be the ones bullying our opinions and beliefs onto people. We're not meant to be self-righteous on a soapbox preaching people, but our posture is meant to be, as we're walking towards outsiders in a humble conversation and listening, then as opportunities arise, then we respond to their questions. We respond to their interests. We respond to the things that they're talking about. But this is meant to be the default posture, that we have this mindset. So we're walking towards outsiders in conduct and speech. Now let me elaborate a little bit more um, when Paul says, so that you know how to answer each person, I think just packed into there is this wisdom as though that when we're listening and responding to someone, we need to ask the Spirit to help us understand three levels of conversation. The most important one is always below the surface. People say what they say. People respond the way they do. People get emotional the way they do. People have certain body language the way they do because of the why below the surface. Why people see the world the way they see it. And it's really their stories, their experiences, both traumatic but also just deep, happy experiences from the past. That all shapes how they look out onto the world. Their worldview, their lens. That's the why. But usually, 
we get caught up as human beings, even as Christians, just on the surface what? What they're actually doing. And we get flustered by what they're doing or we uh, approve what they're doing. And perhaps we're a little bit deeper and we'll focus on the how they make their choices. We, we are aware of their situations, the pressures they feel or what they're feeling. But if we're going to walk towards outsiders in a way that really ministers to them and can really speak to where they're really coming from, we need to ask the Spirit for wisdom, why? Why do they make the choices that they do? Why do they feel the way they do? And so I encourage you, as we're following Paul's wisdom here, in the how, how do I live out this wise gospel witness, to walk towards outsiders with that kind of listening here, just a prayerful heart. Spirit, help me to get beyond just the surface of people that I interact with. And would you give me insight into perhaps why and really speak the gospel to that heart level? Now, let's end for us then. Why? Why do I live out a wise gospel witness? Every sermon, I, I try to be careful, and I, I believe all our elders try to be careful, uh, and whoever comes and preaches at Trinity Grace Church, we, we exhort them to be careful that we never just give you things, more things to do as a Christian. Because that can become a slippery slope to getting back into that old way of thinking that if I, I can earn God's pleasure, I can earn God's salvation. But our good conduct, our good, right, true, beautiful conduct, and our gracious speech is always meant to be an overflow of the beautiful, great Christian why. And even chapter 4, the end here, as Paul's wrapping up his letter, now first notice that we go back to chapter 3 and even chapters 1 and 2. Paul is spending those three chapters on just the great, beautiful why for the Christian. And just to go back to chapter 3, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. And, and before that, Paul was glorying, glorying, and just resting and, and rejoicing in this Jesus who is supreme over all creation, through whom creation came, through, by his word, and, and he's seated above, he's preeminent, he's above all things. Paul is just in love with his Savior because of the Savior's love for him, because he was loved first, and as he sees this Jesus risen, Jesus is his hope. Jesus is his reason to want to keep moving towards maturing and growing in wiser conduct and speech to emulate Christ, to overflow Christ. And then he gets specific. He turns it back on us. Just as we sang today, we are who God says we are. We are, in verse 12 of chapter 3, we are God's chosen ones, holy, beloved. Just let those three descriptions sink in. That's who you are. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you are God's chosen. At the young adult retreat, I just got back from that late last night, and, and this illustration come back, came back to me. Remember, and I experienced this, remember, perhaps you've experienced this when you were a child at recess during school, and we're all lined up against the school wall, and people are picking teams, and the anxiety, oh, am I going to be chosen last? You know, and, am I going to be chosen at all? 
that God has chosen you to be in his family, to be his, to be set apart, to be called beloved. And for this reason, because we've been loved first, why would we not want to to live rightly in witness of his great name, of his great love that he's demonstrated to us? And so as I was preparing, this hymn came to mind, a familiar hymn at Trinity Grace Church. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? We know that this Jesus who wore this crown of thorns also was raised from the dead and vindicated and seated at the right hand of God. And so now we're the whole realm of nature mine. My whole life, my conduct, my words, my treasures, my talents, that would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Lord, help me to live out a wise gospel witness because certainly love so amazing demands my all. Amen.